and welcome back to another special episode of the Epic Experiment Podcast. I'm your host, Bruce. It's episode 132, and I'm joined on the line once again this week by Sneaky Pete. Hey, Pete, how you doing tonight? Not too bad. How about yourself? It's good to uh, be here. It's, it's, good to be, it's good to be here. It's good yeah. to, to be uh, recording. I like, I mean, I'm looking forward to tonight's show. Uh, how am I? I am glad that the week is over. And that uh, it's now the weekend and we have some downtime. But I'm getting another eight inches of snow and I'm not looking forward to digging out from that tomorrow. So, the joys of Canadian winter. Hey! <laughs> so, so, let's, so let's get down to it, right? So your, your body right now is probably broken from shoveling all the snow. And then... My mind is broken from thinking about how complicated this game is that we love to play. Oh, there we, <laughs> there we go. So between the two of us, we make a good pair. So uh, here, we got lots for you tonight, your audience. So uh, settle in and uh, grab yourself a cup of coffee and uh, and uh, join us for what's going to be a pretty interesting and pretty informative session, I think. A um, little bit of housekeeping before we get going. As always, if you like what you hear and you want to find more of our content, you can go back and find all of our back episodes at thelotuscouncil.com. Um, that means that all the episodes from the show are available there. But on top of that, you can find lots more available at thelotuscouncil.com, not just the, the podcast. Uh, probably the biggest draw is the Discord channel, which is free to join uh, and is full of terrific people who uh, have great ideas when it comes to playing Magic, uh, ideas for helping you streamline your decks, uh, helping you sometimes trades, or sometimes you want to set up other fun things to do and maybe play wet over webcam. Uh, it's a fantastic community, very lively, very positive, um, and so well worth your time to check it out. The link's going to be in the show notes, so you can go and find it right there and go and join thelotuscouncil.com. And if you tell them that we sent you, they're going to be extra, extra happy to see you and talk to you, you all that much more. All right, so there we go. That's that's what you need to know about the Lotus Council. All right, tonight, Pete, we've got three segments. We're going to do Garbage or Great, and then we've got a really interesting topic tonight. We're going to be talking about choices um, or presenting your opponents with choices, and then we've got a really interesting deck um, that you've brewed up here that I'm really interested to talk about, um, about... Again, sort of illustrating, putting that cho- those that, that idea of choice to the test. So I'm I'm a big fan. I'm ready to go. Are you? Yeah. Um. To, if there's anything to remember for tonight, it's that for all my game theory fans out there, magic is like that, but you know, elevated and escalated. So we'll we'll dive into what we mean by that, and uh, I can't wait to talk about these two cards that we're gonna we're gonna share right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. This will this be fun. All right, so let's start with Garbage are Great. First one I pulled up is Sting Mogi, which is a card from a long, long time ago. Let's read Sting Mogi. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm laughing because I remember like using it like a, like a jerk when I was... Yeah. When I was... Okay, so Sting Mogi is three and a red for a zero, zero elemental. And it says Sting Mogi comes into play with two plus one plus one counters on it. Three and a red, remove a plus one plus one counter from Sting Mogi, destroy target artifact or land. So, what's your thoughts here, Pete, on this particular you wanna know? You want to know one of the messed up ways I think you could just continuously utilize that? Uh, what are you doing? Training. So you use, like, training grounds. So you make it only cost two. 
Yes. Then, then you find a way to keep the counters on the creature or recur the creature if you're playing a third color. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you just continuously blow up people's lands. Again, I'm not a big fan of land destruction, but if someone did that to me, I would just laugh, shake their hand, and say, let's play again. <laughs> <laughs> if, if you're doing it with a Stigmogi, I think people are going to be pretty okay with it. No, so I'm, I'm like you. I like, this, I like this deck. I think this gives us a lot of really interesting uh, choices. Now, one of the things that I appreciate about this is that it gives you... Uh, the ability to interact with artifacts or lands uh, on on a creature, which is that on a creature in off. I mean, red is known for artifact destruction and land destruction in general, but it's kind of like an off repeatable effect where you don't have to necessarily run like a like one targeted removal spell. Yeah, and I mean, Commander, there's so many utility lands out there that need to be responded to that many tables don't respond to, and then you just you they just snowball out of it, yeah. right? Like all coffers is, I'd say, one of the strongest examples in a budget or in a vacuum um, that yeah. you'll see more often than not. Yeah. So, yeah. So I was just gonna say, like, this is really good at taking if you need to remove a troublesome land like uh, Cabal Coffers or. Um, a Gaia's Cradle or the or some other thing like maybe maybe a Maze of Ith is what's holding you back from being able to attack profitably because they untap everything. Um, so having a way to interact with their land is really quite quite interesting. Also, it is an, it is as a creature, it's an elemental, which is not a creature type that is of no consequence. It that matters because there's a there's an elemental deck with three color Omnath that is run, that's still out there. People still play it. It's re, it's quite popular. And now you have this triggering once again with Omnath. And you know what you could do too? if you're running Omnath, you could you could blow up your own lands if you needed to and make elementals with Titania or mm-hmm. you know yeah. make extra triggers for later. Like if you had the Splendid Reclamation in hand, yeah. And you're slowly doing that. People are like, why is this? Why is this uh, person blowing up their own resources? But in those, land, in those decks, you're going to be able to get those lands back anyway, right? So might as well do a creative sort of rattlesnake way to uh, to that too. I mean, you know. Yeah, I know, for sure. So I, I think there's a lot of value to be had there too. I also really like to appreciate the fact that it comes into play with the counters on it, and meaning that, that you can now proliferate them. We've just had a whole lot of new tools to proliferate with, and... If you can, you know, give this, you know, three, four, maybe even five counters, you can do a lot of damage around the table. You're removing problematic artifacts or troublesome lands and, you know, really keep your opponents in check. Um, so I really, I'm a big fan of the card. Uh, I think the biggest drawback for me is that you're getting, you're spending four mana for a 2-2, which is well below rate, like well below rate. and then the activation cost is also for four mana more. So, but for you yeah. to be able to blow up a single target, you're spending eight mana. And this is where I was coming in, not with training grounds so much, but I was with Zerda. Um, but Zerda play, does the same thing. It reduces cast uh, activation costs of things. And so um, I was thinking like you, if you're going to play this, you're going to need to play training grounds and Zerdas and whatever else to try and make sure that it doesn't over, it doesn't cost you too, too much because that's probably the biggest hang up on for the card. 
uh, and probably the biggest right. detriment to why you probably wouldn't run it. So if I had to come down and pick whether it's garbage or great, much as I, I like, I would think it, it this sort of card wins major league points on style and on uniqueness in the inclusion. But, and being cute. And being, yeah. and being cute. But I think in the S in this in the strict sense, if, if you're looking to try and increase the rate at which you win, this is probably not gonna get you there. Right. This is just You might as well just run like a nomad riders if you're gonna go for yeah. like a land destruction idea. If targeted land destruction, of course. Yeah. Um, there's a goblin as well that blows up non basic lands too. Yeah. But again, I don't know. Is it really one of those cards that we would run? Probably not, right? Yeah, like so. That's where I often like I've looked at this sort of effect. There's a dwarf that does something similar too, and uh, it destroys target non-basic land. And I've tried to run it, and every time I do, I end up cutting it because it just doesn't do enough. And that's my fear that Sting Mogi just won't do enough for you. That on turn twelve, when you are looking to top deck something good. And you top deck this, you're gonna go. Oh, I feel sad now. So, I like the card, and I could definitely make a case for people playing it. I don't. Th- I think most pl- players are going to sort of come to the conclusion that this sort of is your sixty eighth, ninth, seventieth card, and probably not making yeah. your deck, which is disappointing. It, it would be running well, I guess, in like in a popper a popper list. I noticed yeah. that, like we yeah. talked earlier like on budget right you could run this card it doesn't hurt much no um and it, in popper especially you're gonna need targeted removal yes um for commander not not regular 60 card popper that's a different story but um for like popper decks that need targeted removal in red mm-hmm. it's not a terrible card no I'll, I'll... because popper is very slow as a format and there's not really much out there Besides, maybe some color fixing that you want to mess up with your opponent's color fixing in Bobber because there's a lot less of it going around. Um, but yeah, that's I guess that's my only viable sort of devil's advocate for this card. I think it's fair. I think it's a fair point, and I agree, I would agree with you. And in Popper Commander, I think this would be a pretty strong inclusion. But I think if you're playing full version Commander, you're probably saying I've but I have better options that can do more with my mana. And I'm sad. No doubt. Big sad. And then, and then the next card, right? To keep Ooh. it positive, card is a fun one. A one that that I think is very playable. Uh, yes. So the card is Betrayal. So a single blue for an aura. And it says, Enchant Creature and Opponent Controls. Whenever Enchanted Creature becomes tapped, you draw a card. I like this. Yeah. Especially in Commander where most people don't really murder dorks until later in a game or they're too nice and they don't remove that problematic dork like bloom tender yeah um you put that on there and they're just like do i tap this and give them a card it's it's again it's a choice based effect that basically puts the opponent in a bind because they think they're getting more value and granted they might have enchantment removal or whatever but who's going to waste enchantment removal on a one mana aura that you'll probably most likely get back. Like, I'd throw this in a Tameshi deck for sure. Oh, in a heartbeat, yeah. So, no, I agree with you. I think this really forces your opponent into evaluating if that mana from that mana dork is worth 
the the card that they're going to give to you. Um, now, if you're somebody who has been sort of paying attention, the pro, the the rate at which people are playing Mystic Remoras and Rhystic Studies and other cards that are looking to draw you a huge number of cards cheap um, is is growing all the time. And so there is an appetite to play uh, to play these sorts of cards. If you go to EDH Rec and we go look at top cards played, like we're going to look at, let's go find the first Mana Dork, and it's probably in the top 50 cards. Probably like Birds of Paradise. So yeah, yeah. Birds of Paradise, Lanor Elves. Lanor Elves is, is played in 252,000 decks. So lots and lots and lots of decks. Birds of Paradise is in 244,000 decks. You slap this on their turn one Birds of Paradise and compel your opponent to really decide if they want to start tapping it for mana and giving you cards. And It's a strange play, too, in terms of they think they got the value by ramping before you, but you get the extra cards. Yes. You know? Like, who really wins in this decision? You tapping for one mana or maybe two or three mana? Or me getting a card every single time you tap that thing. Yeah. And in the early stages of the game, that that card advantage may be huge. Whereas later in the game, when they've maybe maybe they developed their board enough, they don't need their their uh, their mana dorks quite so much. You can let it die. Like they can like let their choose to block with their birds of paradise or whatever. And then if you're playing a car, a way to recur it, Hannah Tameshi, uh, you play an Oromancer. Uh, or any of these other things that allow you to recur an aura from your deck, you can do it all over again. Maybe to another player, maybe to the same player, but you're going to be able to continue to extract value. And for a single blue mana, the investment seems appropriate. The other interesting thing I'd say um, is that the the card, like the card, is efficient too. You know mm, what I mean? Yeah, very much so. Like efficient, where like. It doesn't feel bad to play this on turn one. It doesn't feel bad to have this be played on turn ten. Granted, you're gonna want something better than this, but like, I I wouldn't feel bad playing this. Oh. And I I used to play an old deck, um, these partners from one of the precons. It was like the spirit one, I think. It was Timon and Rhoda. So, you know, Timon says at the beginning of combat you can tap a creature down, and uh, each combat, and then Rhoda says. Whenever a creature becomes tapped and it's not being declared as attacker, put a plus one plus one counter on it. Right. So like forcing to tap things down, you could put this on a big old beefy commander, Voltron commander, and tap it down every turn. Uh-huh. And a card every single time they go to untap it, you tap it down. Um and draw a card. So like I guess you don't even have to put it on a mana dork too. You could you could for sure put it on any value creature that's being used. Uh, a card that has to attack every turn, for example. Yeah. Like, they're enforced attack cards. Uh, you goad the creature, right? Yeah. That would be an interesting play. Like, with, with like, Furkrath, that's that dragon that we talked about a few weeks ago. Um, same deal, right? Forcing them to tap it down creates this vacuum for you to draw cards. Yeah. Kind of. I, I think this is, a, this is a terrific sort of piece of tech, uh, of tech from an old set. It's from Visions. It's not that expensive either. It's 27 cents. Um, the, the, the combination of the mana value being a single blue, the, the real, real dollars cost is low to go pick it up. 
And the effect on your game, I think, is very ultimately very positive. So, you know, you could play it turn one if you have it, or turn turn seven or eight, maybe you're triggering some prowess or something else to try and, you know, get ahead some other way too. So I'm a big fan. I, I really like Betrayal. I think this one probably should be included in more decks. It is not played very, very widely. Uh, right now it is appears in about 1,500 decks, which is, seems like uh, a criminal uh, waste of the card. And that, uh, you know, more players should probably go and slide it in their deck. I think once you try it out, I think you're going to find that you're going to be pleased with the results. For sure. And that kind of slides us into the topic of tonight, right? Yes, it does. The idea of choice or like the illusion thereof, right? So like Betrayal is one of those cards where you give your opponent a choice, but no matter what they do, you're going to probably benefit from it. Yeah, well... Um, and yeah. like what's going on with your opponents. So interestingly enough, um, that's what we're going to be talking about tonight. Yeah, so it's, this is a tough topic to talk about. I think uh, Pete and I have really agonized yeah. over this topic all week. Trying, we know it's an important topic. We 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 definitely like. We both feel like we were we started touching on it when we just started just touching on Glunch a couple of weeks ago, which is like Pete, one of Pete's, you know, probably one of his favorite decks to play, and rightfully so. It's a fun deck, right? Yeah, like. It's one of those decks where I can put it at, at a table at any power level and we will have fun. Yeah. You know what I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't, it's not going to win most likely on its own. You're, you're going to get some help from your opponents, which is kind of funny. Because um, either people won't like think you're a threat or they'll realize you're a threat too late or you'll just get blown out of a game. That happens, yeah. right? That yeah, happens every, sure does. every time I've So um, it's one of those things where I, I'm fascinated by, by making choices, right? like in life but also but also just like in this game there's there's so many avenues to make that can make or break a game like silly examples i've punted before pretty badly in sealed limited and in commander because of the choices i made and then i would write them down sometimes mm. i stopped doing it because it's depressing but it's like wow yeah yeah it's like it's like wow um wow i I'm still getting the grasp of this game and it's been you know it's been 5 6 years now and I'm still mm -hmm. I'm still trying to figure out the game cuz the game you know there's so many moving parts yeah. and I guess that yeah. we're going to highlight the beauty of that tonight I yeah, think Yeah we're certainly going to try to So and so essentially the conversation is going to be I've tried to structure the the conversation in a way that makes sense for you the audience to try and structure it in a way that it's linear and you can hear and we can try so we try and Keep our comments moving forward and progressing rather than continuing to cycle back around upon each other because it's very easy to do that. Um, but many of us don't actually conceive of the idea of giving our opponents a lot of choice as being something that's desirable in a game. Um, most of us would rather deprive our opponents of any sort of agency in the game whatsoever and say, no, you cannot do anything. Um but I do think that giving your opponents a choice in how the game is going to progress forward is a really, really powerful tool to and incredibly underrated and underused skill, in my opinion. It's a skill mm -hmm. that needs to be practiced in a sense. Um, like first, like recognizing the situation. Some of the questions I ask a lot in games, Bruce Bruce knows this pretty well. I'm always like, Hey Bruce, you wanna be friends? 
you know, and it, and it, it's like a disengagement idea, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's reactive, so you could be like, well, if you do this, then this will happen, you know. Then there's there's like the interactive, which is like, hey, if I do this for you, can you do this for me later? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. So it's one of those things where we can use this in each and every game we play, and I think that's why it's so important to talk about. Yeah. So, um, going to sort of how I sort of envision us using this, these, this sort of tactics, um, for starters, many opponents you're going to encounter are just not prepared to engage along this sort of axis. They're ill-prepared mentally and from a deck construction standpoint to have a, an opponent engage them in making choices regularly. This is one of the reasons why playing Factor Fiction is so popular amongst Commander players. Your, your opponents are, are frequently not mentally prepared to engage in this access, axis. So many players just assume that they're going to play out their deck and they're not going to have to spend a lot of time interacting or dealing with what their opponents are presenting for them on the battlefield. If they do, they, they kill it all or they counter it all, and that's how the game's going to go. And then this sort of thought process is very departs from that significantly and is going to capitalize on the fact that your opponents are often not prepared. Some of them, you're also going to be capitalizing on the multi of, of a unique feature to multi a multiplayer environment, and that's the discord between players. This is like taking advantage of the actual game theory inherent in the game, where all of your opponents should be in, should be incentivized to cooperate with each other to hold you back, but they don't because they're all seeking their own selfish advantage, leaving you an opportunity there to exploit. Um, to significant effect. So that discord and lack of harmony between your opponents because of the multiplayer environment of Commander is super interesting. And I think doesn't get enough credit as being something that we can exploit and push to, to, a, to a bigger point in more of our decks. There's also... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I think we... I was going to say, I think we get tunnel visioned a lot of times mm-hmm. into what we want to do with the deck and not necessarily figuring out what other people are trying to do with the, with theirs. Unless it's very obvious, right? Like, okay, this person's going to make a million tokens. This person's the, the combo deck because they're running a commander that storms off. You know, this person is playing a stacks deck. Yeah. Beyond just that, but it's like, okay, why do they play this card right now? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like we all have multiple options in a game, right? Like we have multiple choices that we can make. Um, we can play that creature. We can hold up for removal. We can we can sit back instead of attacking. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, and all those choices add up to either you win or you lose. Yeah. And it's very hard to see in the moment sometimes what the most optimal play is. Yeah. But also, what is the correct play? Um. For the table, for you, um, yeah, it's just I don't know, very situational. So it's it's difficult to talk Absolutely. about. You know? um, uh, furthermore, <laughs> like there's also if you're putting cards that provoke choice in your deck, there is going to be an inherent information asymmetry, meaning you know what you're the outcome you're looking for. That's why you're playing the card, but your opponents may not be fully apprised of why that card is in your deck. And what the full ramifications of that of that choice is, and it may not even appear to them for two or three turns until they go, "Oh, now I see why you made me do that," 
And that that moment of realization on their opponents is just indicative of just how that information asymmetry can be so powerful uh, to for you to exploit and for you to build yourself an edge. Because so much of Commander is where can you create those little edges for yourself? Um, because very rarely are you just going to be able to bulldoze the whole table and bully everybody. So if you can't, in the absence of being able to do that effectively, how, how are we creating advantage for ourselves? And here is a great way for us to do it using information asymmetry. There's also the stand, from the standpoint of um, just the standpoint of the gameplay itself. Um, like giving your opponents agency is often going to keep them engaged and switched on the game and more receptive to playing in a way that is going to yield a fun and engaging play experience. Um, I will give the example of Pete's Glunch deck again, where there's choices presented to us, and they're never the great, the whole choice I want to make, but I still feel like I can play, whereas I'm not necessarily being locked out of the game and being unable to, to engage and make choices for, my, for the benefit of my deck. Um, obviously, you as the person who is now sort of setting the agenda around, you're the one posing the questions. You're going to be able to have some retain some sort of control over how much agency you you met met out to your opponents, but like your opponents are still going to feel like they're engaged in part of the game, even though you are right. sitting there on the other side of the board feeling as if you're the one fully in control. That and like asking questions is in, is just incredibly powerful in this game, right? Like, hey, are you sure you want to do that? Um, hey, do you have an answer to this? And some people just say no or they say yes. Uh, but like normally, if they don't say anything, I I just assume that they don't. Yeah. Because if they had an answer, they probably would have responded already. Absolutely. Or it just or the core, or the core doesn't bother them at all. And that means they have something even more scary in their hand. <laughs> yes. So like having these having these sort of disengaging questions, like it's not it's not disarming the opponent, but it kind of it kind of is um player removal? Um well it's No, I'm just, I'm joking. I'm joking. Yeah, but like well... you know what I mean? Like, like you're finding more information out as you play rather than restricting information that can be yeah. used. I th- um, I, th- I think that would be yeah. that I would probably frame that as gathering game more game information, um, sure. rather than re- player removal because you're not removing the player, but in an essence you are. You're right because like you're look you're you're now able to glean from their responses to your question that they don't have an answer or maybe they do or maybe they have something else that's going to trump what's going on in the battlefield right now. And that's a, that's a more serious concern to you than what would the the whatever was just offered. So anyway, um, and then of course I think these sorts of games can lead to some stories with some great fun uh, and really interesting ex- uh, things because something unexpected is almost sure to happen because no matter how well you plan, somebody's going to find a way to probably um, to, to to just to drive. The, the, the choice in a direction where you hadn't anticipated and if they can do that and sort of blow the, the side of the box off you then you're going to have some some time scrambling and you get some really unpredictable things happen 
which could make for some great stories. For sure. Um, and then this this kind of moves us into each sort of subsection that we wanted to. Cover. Yeah. So I listed these as sort of like a hierarchy of choices that players must confront. So the first one are is, is like there. These are things that must be answered, or the game is likely going to end. I sort of liken these to like omega level threats or or otherness or other cards that are going to automatically compel you to make a choice one way or the other. And so for me, like these are not hard cards to interact with. You either have the interaction or you don't. And if you have the interaction, you can stop it. If you don't, you're probably dead. End of story. So things like Torment of Hailfire. Like, that's just a card that if you don't have a way to respond to it, you're just going to die. Fair enough. Creator Hoof Behemoth, same thing. Splinter Twin Combo, same thing. Um, there's lots of other end game-ending game combos that you can make use of, whether it's, you know, Vivian Reed uh, potting for your Felidar Guardian and that chain. Or there's, you know, lots of other ways to do it too. Um, but these are things that must be answered or the game comes to a close. And, you know, it might only be turn five or six, but your commander game is going to end unless you have an answer for it right now. Um, anything else you want to throw in there right, like, right off the hop into Omega-level threats? Uh, yeah, I guess any card that generates insane value over time that's not responded to. So a lot of landfall decks... Ooh get a bad rap because of yes. that but also like cards that cards that either start growing really fast um can be problematic granted i'm not afraid of um like the terrarian mauler and um forgotten ancient because those that, those cards are kind of slow but i was thinking more like fire emancipation yeah. you know yeah. like a card, a card that just spikes and escalates the situation quickly terror of the peaks another example yeah, yeah. right a card that generates removal and player removal eventually over time uh yeah just cards that in a vacuum on their own are really good but with other pieces they're just exceptional yeah. and they and they're going to yeah. and they're going to compel you to have an answer or you're not and mm. you're going to feel the pain it's going to come like oh, like another another example that I really like is uh like OG Thassa from Theros the yeah. Flicker one because if you don't respond to it the person playing the card is going to get so much value off the card it's hard to yeah. kill but they're going to get so much value off of it from flickering their stuff bringing them back that eventually you're just not going to be able to interact with them at all yeah um if they're playing, if they're playing blue because they'll they'll have the answer yeah. right they'll flicker the um, the Mancer that gets back instant and sorcery counter spells. They'll flicker the other creatures that ETB and untap lands. Oh. You know, they'll, they'll flicker other stuff that prevents people from being able to respond yeah. anymore. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So all all, all of these are cards is. that are like, are things that you're going to have to they're going to have to answer. There's other cards that are out there, and I noticed uh, as a trend. Other cards that seem to present choices tend to be tend to be white cards, at least under the sort of the current yeah. design structure of Wizards. Um, a lot of white cards 
are the cards that are presenting these sorts of choices to our opponents um, by either adding costs to them or, or making them make choices. So Soul Partition and Elite Spellbinder are ones that add costs to cards that compel your opponent to have a solution. Like they have to pay two more or however much more to do the abilities. Uh, wedding. Oh, go ahead. Hour of Silence, Ghostly Prism, yeah. yep. as well. Those, for the white too. The taxation of it, right? So, like a choice for white is is taxing the opponent. A choice for red is complete chaos. A choice for black is well, you're gonna have to remove something from the board. Um, the choice for blue is give me what I want, or you know, I will be ups- like I'll upset yeah. you, mm-hmm. right? Vector fiction, um, sort of effects. And then the only color that really doesn't make choices is green. But green has everything else that <laughs> that it shouldn't have. It, has, has, it could remove anything. Um, it can draw cards. It can do whatever. So, like, it's interesting that green really... The only green cards that are worthy of discussion is Savala's, uh, Savala's Stampede and, like, the Tempt's Attempted Discovery. Well, yeah, well, the the, par- the parlay mechanic and... Yeah. Yes. So... But, but yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah. So the, so a lot of these cards are really quite um, are really quite interesting. Um, White's had a lot of new cards added to their repertoire to allow them to catch up that present choice. So I like Keeper of the Accord, Archivist of Ogma, Brina, uh, the Demagogue, like Esper Sentinel. These are all really excellent cards, compelling choices from your opponents and or accruing you value. Um. This is I wanted to put in this topic here too about paying your taxes. So whether it's smothering tithe, the risk study, or something else, should we be paying our taxes? This is a choice that gets presented to us regularly. Pete, what do you what are your thoughts on paying your taxes? Yeah, um, if you can afford to, you should do it. If it doesn't scare you and you're you think you're going to win faster than they can, then you probably don't have to. But that's because you're guaranteeing yourself victory, right? Paying your taxes until you have enough mana that it doesn't matter is actually fine. You know what I mean? Like, paying the two to attack somebody is fine. Um, because you actually prevent them from seeing your information, right? Yeah. Like, you're not going to regurgitate your hand. Um, and if they regurgitate their hand with all the treasures they're making with the tithe, that might actually be better for you in the long run. Granted, if they have that game-winning combo, then you're just kind of... <laughs> unable to respond anyway but uh i found that sometimes that extra mana or that extra card makes all the difference uh and you've seen that as well bruce right i mean we've seen it all the time playing together where we'll go around the table and one of us has one of those problematic cards like ristic study or smothering titan that one player has eight mana by the time they're on turn uh like five you know and you're sitting there and you're like oh Jeez, like, what are they going to play next? So, it is, it is very, um, it is very hard, I think, for players to justify, like, because magic is a selfish game, right? Like, you're not supposed to, like, help the table, but sometimes you you should. (laughs) Sometimes you should. Here's how I look at paying my taxes and why, when I'm playing, I almost exclusively always pay my taxes. Um, at the end of the day, if you allow some, a player with a Ristic Study or a Smothering Tithe to run away with it and just go unchecked, then 
you've given the game away to them because you've given them um, a, a resources symmetry there that you have no way to make up. And that's, that's a real problem. So I would always, always, always pay my taxes. Um, even the extent of, you know, holding my own board back. Um, so I can hold back interaction or other responsive effects because of the fact that if you don't, you're go you're just giving away a lot of equity to one of the players in the, one of the positions on the table. And it's hard to convince other players to get on board and to play along and to deny your opponents the resources. I get it. But we need to do it as, out of, as a matter of responsibility to the table. Because if you cannot, and they draw a whole lot of cards or make a whole lot of mana, you have a problem. You have a real problem, and it could have been all prevented by everyone paying their taxes from the outset. Yeah, because again, if, if you're playing against these types of cards, and you pay for it, you're going to eventually, probably one of the other three players will draw some sort of removal, I yeah. would hope. You know, or the answer to win, um, you know, where giving someone eight to ten treasures a game is like handing them the game and shaking their hand, hey, you're yeah. welcome. <laughs> so, so, paying your taxes is, is very, very important. And here on the show, we would recommend that you do it as, as often as you can. Um, all right. Bruce, what's the, what's the Canadian version of the uh, IRS, which is like the taxation uh, law enforcement agency? We, we call it the, the CRA States. or Canada Revenue Agency. So they'll get you, you know, if you don't have to pay your taxes. They so They always come get us. They, they send you that nice letter from Shawinigan, and next thing you know, you're getting uh, getting told you, have, you owe them more money. So pay your taxes. No one likes the mail from Shawinigan, and that's how it goes. So level two, right? Brokering deals and playing politics. Yeah, it's my favorite part of the game. I'll be honest with you, Bruce. I'm a sucker for for this kind of thing. I enjoy it. I find it fascinating when people make decisions that baffle my mind, make me scratch my head a few times. Um, and I, I think this can add a, a very fun layer to the game, especially if you're playing with close friends. Agreed. You know, um, it is an incredible way as well to kind of bond with the people you're playing with if they are strangers. You know, like you can have dialogue, you can provide sort of an extra layer. I think we get in this mindset as well, where we're like so focused on winning that we take the fun out of it and we just kind of suck the joy out of the game after a while because we we're competitive by nature. And um, I think this is a fun way as well to make the game more interesting. I will agree 100%. And I think this this is one of the ones that, I mean, I think is reasonably straightforward, and many players in Commander understand this. Um, what I do think we, it always, brokering deals gets a bit of a, of a tough rap, because there's always an element of trust that has to go into any time you are um, brokering a deal with another player. You have to trust that the person you are making a deal with is going to hold up to their end of the bargain. And that's a hard bar of trust to, to, to leap over, uh, particularly with people you don't know particularly well. Sometimes even with people you do know well is hard, but that's a whole other conversation. But um, there's a measure of trust that you have to earn and demonstrate in order for that, to, for that exchange to work. 
Uh, and if you don't live up to your end of the deal, you are now a weasel or a snake, and your opponents are going to be furious with you, and you're going to pay the price. So I'm always very careful about brokering deals that if I'm brokering a deal that I can live up to the full terms of the agreement and not being deceitful in the sense of like, no, I'm going to break, I'm going to break my word now. In fact, if you're playing with me and I tell you that I'm going to do a certain thing, we've made a deal on it. I will do it. Uh, even if it's no, even if it's yes. no longer to my advantage, I will do it because I said I would. Um, similarly, I also think it's important. Sometimes you don't need to have a deal in place, but just doing something to engender a little bit of free of, of goodwill at the table is is powerful. So, give you an example there, Pete. I was playing last weekend with some friends. We were playing in person, and one of the guys had a cabal coffers on the battlefield, and I had a field of ruin on mine, and. I could have field of ruined his cabal coffers the first turn it came into play. That would have been the responsible player move, but I let it stay, sit out there. I told him, I will give you two turns with that to see what you can do. After that, I'm going to have to, to field of ruined it. And he's like, you know what? That's really fair of you. That's really honest. Like, he's like, like, look, I could, I could kill it now, but you're playing that because you want to do something cool with your deck. Let's let you try to do something cool with your deck. But if after two turns at the table, you haven't yeah. done something particularly cool with it, I'm going to kill it. Because if I leave it there indefinitely, it will kill me. And he's like, no, that's fair. I can get that. So I was true to my word, but I, hadn't, I didn't make a deal with him like ahead of time. I just said, like, look, I'm not going to blow that up. You can use it. But you're going to get two turns at the table, and after which point I am killing it. Which is exactly what happened. I gave him two turns at the table and whoop, that was the end of his, his couple coffers. But he was appreciative for having had the opportunity to use it for two turns. Right. And, and like you, you can see, it was like, thank you so much for not like for letting me play the game and do what my deck was supposed to do. On the flip side as well, you can always reject deals too. There's, no, there's nothing that, that, that binds you. So like sometimes I'll ask questions and people will be like, "No, nah, I'm good." You know, I have a friend Steve I play with um when I'm when I'm in person at home where I grew up and he's hilarious cuz he'll look at me, he'll laugh like snicker and then he'll say, "No man, I'm good." <laughs> he gets me every time. Cuz he looks at me, he smiles, he goes, "Nah, nah, nah, it's okay." And then he just does whatever he wants. Um which is funny. Um, some people are truly, truly chaotic when they make decisions, yeah. right? There's a guy I remember. It was like turn six, and he ended up, he ended up playing a card and just nuking my one creature I had out. And he goes, "I'm like, why did you do that?" I because like I was at I was playing a mono red deck. They were playing multiple color decks, and I had no chance of winning. And he and he he's like, "Well, I don't know. I just because I could." I'm like. <laughs> Because like, okay. and then we started laughing, and we started laughing, and then he goes, "Yeah, there's there's nothing personal. I just thought it would be funny." I'm like, "Okay, that's that's cool, I guess. Not for me, but you know, it's cool." So, you know, it's I guess it's my fault for playing a mono red deck at a at a table that had multiple colors and interaction <laughs> in it. But you know, oh, that's good. It's a good story. There. So yeah, deal deals are good, <laughs> folks. Like they're an interesting <laughs> part of the game. 
don't be shy away from them, but also be mindful of how they're being used and how you can use them to your advantage. Um, because I think ultimately that's how you need to view them. But so, but there's also something to be said for letting people play the game and making the choice to interact with them down the road so they have had a chance to play their game. So, all right. Next, let's look at some mechanics that are going to compel us to make choices. So there's a couple of mechanics that have, in, that have been added to particularly multiplayer commander multiplayer games i guess the commander um like will of the council and council's dilemma that present choices like voting like and that's what pe when people think of choice that's what they really think like they think that we're going to make them vote and i don't think really like, to, like pete and i really have conceived of it in the in the way of really voting all the time is it no i i think I think these cards are good examples of having to make choices for the table that probably aren't beneficial except for the person who played the card that allows for yeah. the choice to be made. Um, like expropriate is probably the most famous uh, example of a card yeah. where yeah. each option is just terrible for everyone else. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think thinking of it as just voting is not thinking about this topic. It's thinking very linear, lin, lin the line. <laughs> it's thinking very like okay this is what it means to be political now i mean i i don't know like other other nice examples that i like that we put in our list here is like goad tribute um like clash other mechanics where on the surface they don't look like you're ma having to make a very impactful choice but it can be and it's forcing your opponents to to choose mm -hmm. something too um i don't know interestingly enough Goad, I think, is one of the most political mechanics yeah. out there. You can just pose a combo player, making them swing with their pieces if they can't. Yeah, you can do a lot. You can you can um, you can mess up a lot of decks with compelling them or or compelling them to attack or removing like agency from what they shoot want to do on their on their turn. Uh, Thantis is another great one. Thantis is similar, like it's like mass goad. People yeah. got it. People right. got to turn their things into the red zone and go, um, and that really gets you know makes for a lively game <clears throat> until somebody who doesn't like want to someone who doesn't want to get into the red zone goes and kills your Thantis, and then you're sad. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, for sure. But yeah, I think Goad's a great one. Um, Will of the Council and Council's Dilemma strike me as being. Useful cards, like so. There's a couple of them. Uh, the white one is a white one that removes it's like an exile effect, and then there's yeah, tyrants, tyrants, something other. The black one that kills the creature, like they're both strong effects. And and but I feel like they're not like there's yes, there's choice afforded them, but they're not as exciting or fun as they probably want them to be. I think Wizards is going to revisit this idea of how to make voting cool in the next, you know, probably two years. Uh, I have no actual information to say, to suggest that audience, but if I were on the R and D team, this would be an area I would be looking to exploit as an as a game design piece that has been underserviced up to this point. 
Yeah, um, there's other interesting one that I was thinking about as well. Like Fatal Grudge. Fatal Grudge is a good example. Um, just a lot of those chaos cards where it's like, you do this, this happens. You do this, Yeah. this happens. Yeah. Kind of idea. Red is very popular with those kinds of ideas. Um, there's an interesting one, I think, that uh, we played against Bruce. That It was like seven or eight mana. It was from Right. a pre-con. Like you exile all creatures or sack of them all or something, and then reveal reveal cards, and you get like one or two creatures onto the battlefield equal to Oh, the yeah. like whatever it was. It was like a pot effect almost, but it wasn't. It was Yeah. one sided in red. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's interesting, right? Like there's so many different avenues. It's it's making your opponent try to think about. what to do next can really mess up what they want to do with their game plan. Agreed. Uh, Now, yeah. I think I think this is an area, like I said, is a little underdeveloped in the game at this point in terms of actual mechanics relying on us to have our opponents make choices. But I think it's going to be an area that we're going to see added to the repertoire, particularly for multiplayer games in the next two to five years. Yeah, I think that's not not necessarily a crazy statement. I think I think we're going to see that especially in the next uh the next few sets they design where you know, they're really they've been honing on commander Yeah. for a while, right? They've been focusing as like the money maker for the for the uh like company and I guess we'll we'll soon find out how oppressive they make these mechanics cuz I think they don't think these things through either. Not entirely. <laughs> Maybe Not entirely. just Designing. All right, moving on to level four. Level four are cards that are going to provoke choices, whether you like it or not. And, um,. Presumably, these are choices that you're going to compel your opponents to make that are going to ultimately benefit you more than them. Right? The perfect card uh, for this, like as a name, is Bad Deal, right? The six mana sorcery. It says each player, um, each player loses two life. Uh, you get to draw two cards, and each opponent discards Yeah. two cards. Right? Perfect example. <laughs> if we're gonna characterize it in one card, that's that's what we're kind of Yeah. saying. <laughs> so, um, so some some of the commanders that sort of jumped off the 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 EDH rec page for us, like Bane, Lord of Progress, which I don't think people know, have seen very much of, but this one's a super interesting card, isn't it? Yeah, Bane Lord of Darkness. Um it basically stems from you sacking a creature for value. And if you sack the creature, you ideally either get it back to your hand with um like Athreos, uh God of Passage or Lisa, or you play stuff like Morbid Opportunist whenever a creature dies, something happens as well, in addition. So They have to either allow you to draw like two cards, for example, or you get to cheat out a creature again. Um, this also could be interesting with like bounce effects, like white main. Um, there's blue cards that bounce permanence back to your hand as well. So that would be interesting as well with the potential at your end step to do some very weird, janky things and making your opponent go into the rock and the hard place sort of. situation where no matter what they choose you benefit Yeah. and profit um i think it's 
it's a card that people have devolved into more of like an oppressive list because it is in the colors that can mm, do those things. Yes. And I think you could per- for sure build this in a very fun way that isn't too right. oppressive. But again, it's in the colors that ultimately kind of divulge it, like kind of just yeah, go down into it anyway. So I think no matter how you build it, you're kind of screwed in terms of the fun yeah. police. So. That's definitely the problem you're into, Greg. And sorry, uh, Esper. Oh, goodness. Um, another one, Rurik Thar. Rurik Thar is one from Gate Crash that if you probably seen it, you've probably overlooked it because uh, the card is while you know potent is not you know it's in the hundred it's top hundred and sixty seven commanders going. But this one is really interesting. It really forces your opponents to f- make choices. Like think about this. Listen to this. Um, so four red green for a six six vigilance reach. Rurik Thar the about attacks each turn, each combat if able, and then whenever a player casts a non-creature spell, Rurik Thar deals six damage to that player. This is really easy. Um, decks that are relying heavily on non-creature spells to advance their game plan are just going to take a beating from Rurik Thar. Just a wicked beating i was i'll never forget the night that i was playing and my friend had his work thar deck out and i had to remove some stuff on the board or else i was not going to be able to implement my game plan i cast four spells four non-creature spells 824 damage i went from 40 to 16 and I, if I didn't make the choice to do it now, I wasn't going to come out of that, like, on the other side. So I had to go now. Holy jump. You can... Can't you give it infect, too, and just... No, like, so... Make so, it so... Okay, that doesn't work. doesn't deal the... Oh, Rurkthar deals six damage to that player. Uh, maybe it does, then. Huh. Yeah, it does work. It does work, then. Because it deals the damage directly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you put infect on it. It's like if they cast two non-creature spells, they just die instantly. With Sophum, yeah. that new card from oh, Sophum, that's, that's a win condition because it's the source would deal non-combat damage to an opponent or permanent. It deals double, right? So if they cast a non-creature spell, they take twelve infect damage hypothetically. If we're doing yeah, it this way, for sure. Um, so. Or just they take 12 normal damage. It's pretty good, pretty too. Hefty. Pretty good, too. Earned. So, yeah. <laughs> um, it really compels your opponents to decide if they want to cast their non-creature spells or if, they need, or if they're going to sit on them. Um, Tivit is the next one. It's, a, it's another Esper-colored commander. This one's a Sphinx. And it's... It's a boring card. It's kind of boring. Honest. This is the sort of de facto... Uh, voting card because it gives you two votes each turn every time you vote you get treasures or whatever anyway it's not an exciting card um but it's there to make you go vote so if you want to play the vote dot deck you go play tivit um queen marchesa queen marchesa is interesting because you look at her and she doesn't look like a stacks or sorry uh, a choice card but she's definitely a stacks card and those present choices don't they Oh yes. Um stacks are more more or less just hey, you either can't do this right now 
or if you do this, it will hurt you immensely. Um, and you know, it's it's more of like a strong arm negotiation <laughs> tactic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this. like do this or punch yourself in the face. For sure. <laughs> so, and and yeah. then they tell you to stop punching yourself in the face because you know you're doing it to yourself. I'm sorry. Have you do you have a big brother? Do I? No, but I've definitely experienced the idea. Stop punching yourself, Pete. <laughs> anyway, up uh, next we have um, nah. Wernog Riders Chaplain, which I think is a really interesting card. Uh, it's it's uh it has been shifted from being um one of the Stranger Things cards. So black and a white for a one two, and uh. Whenever Wernog Riders Chapel enters or leaves the battlefield, each opponent may investigate. Each opponent who doesn't loses one life. You investigate H X times, where X is one plus the number of opponents uh, who investigated this way. So, I, I think the go ahead. There's only oh, real quick. Sorry, there, this is really interesting. There's only sixty-five decks yeah. out there for this card, but they've been playing it like a flicker deck without the blue. Which is really cool, because they're just trying to make them lose each opponent loses that much life, or they just get a ton of clue that they can sack to draw later yeah. for value. So I think it's kind of kind of cute and like a potential yeah, way to sure. make a fun deck. Yeah, it's, personally, it's great potential there. So well worth your while exploring it. Um, what about Zedrum? Yeah, it's a classic, right? Like you give someone a problematic card. And then they have to figure out either how to get rid of it or get rid of you in the game mm -hmm. because that's usually what happens. If you don't respond to Zedri, yeah, you're gonna he gives away know. all the mean toys and then kills you with them. He's a mean little goat, isn't he? Yeah, he just he's just I don't know. I don't like I don't like he's him. Really he's nice. kind of a mean goat. Mean goat. And then we have Zancha, <laughs> who's like sort of like the classic like give it away commander you give it away to somebody else all the time and you wonder where your commander went and why it's never in front of you and now you remember why <laughs> but it also plays the right. game like you give Xantia away and you make use of Xantia to make your opponents draw cards and take damage or um, you know just generally make people's time miserable Oh. Yeah, for sure. Um, and like Blim is the other yeah. one in that yeah. color combination where when deals damage, they gain control of things that you own, and it's just it's. I think it's funny, like because mm -hmm. you're gonna do some weird yeah. things with it. And again, that that whole power of choice idea. There's um. There's a lot that can be said, um, with this. Even even like, just. How um how do you like when when is the right time to play Xanth Xanth Xantia, right? Like in your own deck. It actually makes you per your own choices yeah. that you need to think about yeah. how you're doing. So it's like a dual sided like coin yeah, in a sense. Yeah. That's the tricky part, right? Like Xantia's tricky, like you take party you wants to put her out early and get her into the battlefield and make use of her attacking and smashing people, but sometimes the drawing the cards is almost more useful. I don't know. I don't know. I like the card. I know I, I know I want to play it, but I don't know where to play it. That's the problem. 
So yeah, mm. uh, and there's lots That's of fair. other cards that give people choices there, folks. Um, I will leave the hyperlink searches in like through Scryfall that you can go and see for yourself about some cards, other cards that we found that have some really neat effects to make people make choices that they hadn't necessarily thought about. Um, and some of them are as simple as things like Deliver Unto Evil from War of the Spark, which you know seems like it's not that long ago. It should be reasonably contemporary, but it's a very powerful card. So, um, there are lots of cool cards sure. out there to make choices with. Yeah, it's um, something to keep in mind as, as you play more games and see more mm -hmm. different kinds of decks. One thing to play a combo deck 10 times, it's another to figure out how to prevent people from winning off a combo by convincing other players that you're not the threat. You know what I mean? Like I think that's more of a skill than just putting two cards on the table and saying, I win. Um, So I guess it's just something that you'll have play to sort of... Yeah. Play around with, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, in, it's, and that's the thing. Like, it's like, you'll you'll see in your meta what sort of works in terms of what sort of choices you can afford your opponents, and what you can and what you can realistically feel like you can control, retain control over, and then lean into that as you get going, to the point where you know you've leaned into most of what the store is doing. So, for sure. So I guess. Did you want to talk about the deck? Do you, do you want me to update no, let's, it? Let's have a quick chat about the week? deck. So, we have a deck here, folks. Um, so, it's Mathis Fiendseeker. Um, and it is, again, pl playing on this idea of choice. However, there's a couple of cards in it that, depending on how much you wanted to lean to certain elements of choice, your deck would take you down a slightly different configuration than what it does otherwise. So let's have a quick read of Mathis Fiendseeker. A white, red, black for a 3-3 legendary creature vampire with menace, or Menace. At the beginning of your end step, put a bounty counter on target creature and opponent controls. All right. Yeah. And, and when it dies, it, then, it has, when this creature dies, each opponent draws a card and loses their life. So, like, the creature that dies, say, like, Bruce, I put a bounty oh. counter on your creature. If it dies, then I get to draw a card, and right. everyone else gets to draw a card. Yeah. And gain two. So, like, if you're playing a deck that is the threat yeah. at a table, you know? Like, maybe you're playing, like, Urza, uh, you know, High Artificer yeah. or whatever, the, the mono blue one. You put the bounty counter on it, someone kills it, everyone gets the profit yeah, except right, the guy right, who yeah. played the Urza. Um, but the idea with this deck, I just put a shell in here. Like, There's so many different directions you can take it, but the general idea is if the bounty counter creature dies, you want to be able to draw a card and punish the other players for drawing cards as well as the person who played yeah. the creature in the, in the first place. So, like for example, there's there's cards out there that say if a player would gain life, they lose that much life instead. There's uh, cards that say whenever an opponent draws a card, they take damage. There's cards in here that say that. Um, there's discard effects that you can utilize. Because if people are drawing an extra card, you want to make them pitch it so that they don't mm -hmm. uh, attain too much value from math as itself. Um, and you want to continually draw more cards than your opponent. So 
I guess you could make this a stacks deck, but you could also make this just a simple like political deck where you just leverage specific situations. But this just depends on what your opponents are playing. Granted, I need to update the land base, and there are cards in here that probably don't fit now that I look at it again. But um, I just like even goading. Goading works as well. Potentially, if you're forcing people to swing with cards with bounty counters on them, and they have bad attacks, then you're guaranteed to draw a card, and you can remove. You can remove. It's like a foe removal sort of card mathis so oh interesting commander hasn't been seen in several years i think you can do more with it now with some of these new cards and bruce if you want to talk about a few of the ones that you would really enjoy i remember you gave me some really cool funny creatures that do some really interesting things well now. so yeah i was really yourself. one of the ones that really jumped off the page to me was kern the betrayer out of the warhammer 40k decks so uh three and a red for a five one um, Astartes Berserker with so one of the abilities, uh, Karn the uh, the Betrayer attacks or blocks each combat if able. So right there, you have a choice to make. Um, Sigil of Corruption. When you lose control of Karn the Betrayer, draw two cards. Okay, and here's the Betrayer portion. If damage would be dealt to Karn the Betrayer, prevent that damage, and an opponent of your choice gains control of it. So if it's going to get blocked, it like it. It's, it's control reverses somebody else. and But you're going to draw two cards um, off of Karn the Betrayer. So you're going to... Like, that's kind of like um, the Humble Defector sort of ability. But now it's on a 5-1. And like I think the card's really interesting. It presents a really interesting sort of style of play um, to give away your permanence. Slicer, Hired Muscle, plays a similar uh, vein in uh, from the Transformers cards. So that's pretty neat. Um, I like Master of Ceremonies. I think it's a terrific card. I really do. I think that one is um, probably underplayed uh, quite significantly. I think that is a very interesting card to include here too. Um, in terms of oh, I also like Radodrabic. I think Radodrabic is uh, pretty neat. And considering many of the creatures in this list are legendary, Radodrabic is going to be able to trigger pretty reliably. Yeah, so the other avenue you can take this deck is you make as many like faux copies yeah. of Mathis as you can, and then you make it so again. Unfortunately, Mathis is not in blue, so you don't have access yeah. to like the cloning effects. But the really cute things you could do is like sack Mathis, bring him back with a with a like a copy of him. Um, so then you can choose each opponent um, mm -hmm. every turn. That would be like the yeah. magical christmas land when it comes to potentially making your opponents make very tough decisions about attacking right, right, about yeah. blocking about doing specific things in the game um again i might revisit this and actually make something that sort of fits one particular archetype but That'll be seen, I guess, maybe potentially down the line well, we here. Make a, we make we may come um, back to this this sort of in, this sort of deck construction in a, in a couple of weeks or more, um, because I think, like I said, this is sort of this is sort of an area of design that Wizards has not spent a lot of time exploring, and so they may be able to they may have something coming down the pipe to further develop this sort of this sort of choice matters deck. For sure, and I think, I think if they did it without blue, that would be yeah. very, very fun. I yeah. think for a lot of people, because again, blue is I would say beyond white. Blue is that mm -hmm. traditional choice card, right? Like, are you 
you're going to be able to resolve that. Yeah. No. You know what I mean? That's uh, the card of choice. And um, it's more so like, I hope, and this is just me hoping, because Wizards probably won't do this. I hope they make a deck in these particular, uh, you know, colors that has like a vote mechanic or a, or yeah. like a will of yeah. the council mechanic. Because I think it would be very fun without green, without blue, to do something in the Agreed. in this Agreed. sense. Um, so anyway, it's a cool, yeah. it's a cool, it's a cool list. Their audience, yeah. if you want to check it out, it's going to be in the show notes. You can go see for yourself and sort of see what you might do if you were looking to build a similar list. Um, if you have suggestions, you can always let us know. We, we're always keen to hear more about uh, what your thoughts are. So please, please, please check it out, have a look, uh, and then uh, and then get back to us in terms of what you guys like to see and hear um, when it comes to these sorts of decks. Um, do you, are there cards you would include, things you would, would remove? I don't know. You tell us. You tell us. All right. That's going to pretty much wrap up this week's show there, Pete. That's a, I think that's a, a pretty reasonable conversation. I mean, we could probably spend another hour talking about choice for sure, couldn't we? It's going to yeah. be like a three-part thing, at least. I mean, it's such a fundamental part of the game yeah. that's Understood overlooked, sure. I think, personally. Um, but we'll have to, I mean, we're going to stop there for tonight. Uh, so, Pete, if people want to get a hold of you, what's the best way they can reach you? Yeah, my email should be in the show notes. Um, that's the best way as of now, or Discord. I'm on Discord. My name's Nikki Pete on there. I'm in several several forums and servers, so I love I love when I have the time. I love talking to people about this great game. So you can find me out there, and I hope Good. to talk to you all um, soon. If you want to leave, send send me a message and uh, tell me that I'm wrong or that I've got crazy ideas, or you just want to send, tell me hi. You can always email me at the Epic Experiment Podcast at gmail.com. You can reach out to me on Twitter at, at Epic EXP Cast, or you can find us on Instagram at the same handle, uh, Epic EXP Cast. Uh, you can go and find all of our decks on Moxfield.com. Uh, the username uh, is the Epic Experiment Podcast, all one word. Um, did it, did it, did it. Also, if uh, regardless of what platform you're listening to us on, whether it's Podbeans, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or just the LotusCouncil.com, uh, please like, follow, ask a question, subscribe. All the works uh, helps get that trick that algorithm into making us, um, you know, be better than we are. So um, come and check it out. Help us out. Uh, and uh, help spread the word that we're here each and every week talking Commander for you guys. Next week, there'll be more cool happenings in the world of Magic. There's no doubt about it. Um, and uh, looks like there's already been some interesting uh, n- more cards come out all the time. <laughs> so we will see whatever we, we talk, whatever we talk yeah. about next week. But until then, this is the Epic Experiment Podcast signing off, wishing you all the best wherever you next play Magic. Thanks so much, everybody. Take care. Have yourself a great day.